John chapter 3. I'm going to keep you on your toes. I'm preaching from the New King James today, just a little, a little different than we're used to, but that's where I studied in this week, and so there's where the references are. <coughs> John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Just real quick, a Pharisee. What's a Pharisee? A Pharisee is one of two ruling sects, uh, political, religious sects at that time. Uh, kind of, we'd see the kind of Republicans, Democrats here in the United States. They would have the Pharisees and Sadducees, both of them underneath the Roman umbrella, but Rome would allow certain uh, districts and areas to have a level of authority and so forth. And so the Pharisees and Sadducees kind of battled for that. And at this point in time, the Sadducees were the ruling kind of political class, but the Pharisees still had the greatest influence uh, religiously. And the Pharisees are the ones that they believe the entire Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. They were studied, if you were a boy growing up uh, in Judea, um, you would learn the Old Testament very well. And if you were really excelled and really went down that road or you're born into the right family, you may become a Pharisee or be taught by the Pharisees and, and grow into and become a Pharisee, uh, ruling class of the Pharisees. So um, Nicodemus was one of them. Some other Pharisees you might have heard of, Caiaphas. He's the one that had Jesus crucified. He's the one they would gather together. The Pharisees, they were envious of Jesus. He was uh, deterring from their influence and their power and their authority. People were flocking to hear and see Jesus and to be with Jesus. And Jesus was calling out a lot of hypocrisy. That was going on at the time, too. So uh, there were some uh, Pharisees that um, actually put their faith in Christ, became uh, Jesus followers. Uh, but predominantly, the majority at that time, at least then, uh, said, crucify him. Get him out of here. Get rid of him. And that's, of course, what happened. Um, Caiaphas was one. Uh, Gamaliel uh, was a Pharisee. noted in Acts 6. He actually encourages them to not kill Peter. And John, in Acts 6, uh, he kind of says, hey, let's be reasonable. Let's, let's, uh, if God's for these guys, you know, we can't be against them. Um, if he's not for them, they're, you know, these disciples, they'll, their influence will go down. We won't have to worry about it. Just let it play out. Um, Saul. Saul, breathing threats and murder against the church. Saul was a Pharisee, later became Paul, wrote most of our New Testament for us, became a follower of Christ. He was a Pharisee as well. So Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews, this man, verse 2, came to Jesus by night and said to him, came to him by night. Is that just written in passing by night? No, it's intentional that it was wrote that he came to him by night. And how do we know it's intentional? Uh, A few reasons, one being in John 7, it refers to Nicodemus and it says that he who came to Jesus by night, so they mention night again as being important. Uh, Actually, John 19, when it mentions Nicodemus, who first came to him by night. So there's a reason why Nick came at night. Nick at night, get that? (laughs) Uh, But he was was seeking, he was being intentional. Uh, he, He wanted to see Jesus up close for himself. He wanted to examine Jesus, but he did need to do it kind of out of viewpoint of the public, What's the reason for that? John twelve forty two. listen to this. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. 
So a lot of uh, people are people pleasers. How about you? How about me? Care more about what people think and what people are going to say than what God may think or what he has to say. Um, thankfully, uh, you know, he did it in secret. He did it at night, but nevertheless, he, he did it. He, he came to Jesus. He wanted to meet Jesus, uh, and he did so. A lot of times for us in, in our culture, um, speaking about Jesus, hey, I'm Travis Beck. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, I have a wife. I have some kids. I enjoy football. But getting that out there on the front end, it's probably the best way to do it. I don't know, maybe there's other ways of doing it, but otherwise it doesn't happen at all. It just doesn't happen. I'm a follower of Christ, I love Jesus, it's changed my life. But um, you can lose your position, your power, your influence, your safety, your security, your comfort, your reputation, because you become one of those crazy religious people or a churchy person, a Jesus freak, uh, so forth. Number one, uh, question though for us is, will I honestly examine... Jesus for myself. And Nick did. Nick did. Despite um, the peer pressure all around him as a Pharisee, he still thought, you know, I'm still going to honestly evaluate this Jesus. And why? Why? Because, verse 2, continued, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one else can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So we recognize something. Uh, he sincerely acknowledges that Jesus is from God. Right? That's way more than most of the Pharisees. They would say he's not of God. They would deny the miracles. If that miracles happened to be in front of their faces, then they would attribute it to, well, that must be by the power of Satan. You're healing people. You're making people well. You're casting out demons. That's because of the power of Satan. Beelzebub, they would say. Beelzebub, power of Satan. And Jesus would say, that's illogical. Why would Satan cast out Satan? Does that make sense? A house divided cannot stand. But that would be their reasoning. And Nicodemus didn't go down that road. He said, you know what? The signs you're doing, they're evidence. You've only done good. You've cast out demons, uh, people. It's evidence that Nicodemus' heart is not hard. But it's still, there's a level of sensitivity and honesty, humility, to seek Jesus out for himself. Um. Jesus actually, a lot of times, he'd be speaking to the people and he would, he would confront them. Look at some of these references here. Believe for the sake of, you don't want to believe me for what I say. I say that I'm, I'm, I'm from the Father. The Father has sent me. Um, claiming to be the Messiah in many ways. Uh, he says, he answers them and says, I told you and you do not believe. He's speaking to the Pharisees or the people and the rulers and the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. It's not blind faith. There's evidence. It's logical. There's some credibility. There's some validation. The works that I do, they bear witness of me. God is confirming who I am. Yeah. If, you, if I do not do the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe me at least for the sake of the works themselves. And um, so they'd either have to deny the works or attribute it to something else. Both of those would be foolish to do. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered. Okay. Nick says, he says, we know, we know that you are from God because of the works you do, the signs you do. 
And then what does Jesus say to him? Seems completely off, off topic. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He said, Nick, you've got to be born again. Well, I didn't ask you a question. Or, what do you mean? I must be born again. You must be born again. The Pharisees believed in an afterlife. They believed in the kingdom of God that was to come. All right? The Sadducees actually didn't even believe that. And they only believed the Torah. They didn't believe the rest of the prophets, um, the wisdom literature. Um, and they didn't believe in that uh, um, there was another kingdom or life to come. The Pharisees did. But Jesus said, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. You won't be able to see it unless you're born again. Most assuredly, you cannot. Nicodemus said in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Is that what you would say? I'm, I'm a naturalist. I'm a realist. I'm an engineer. I have five senses. I have sight. Ears, smell, taste, touch. Uh, my mom is old, really old. I mean, and that, even if that could happen, that'd be pretty awkward and uncomfortable. <laughs> Born again. What are we talking about? And that's the question this morning is number two. Do I have ears? Do I have eyes to see and ears to hear? Viewing life from a bodily standpoint, limited to the physical, limited to the natural, limited to the carnal. Absent of spiritual insight, only taking into consideration the body and soul. But we are a three-part being body, soul, and spirit. No spiritual awareness, acknowledgement, prioritization of spiritual realities. Throughout the Old Testament, there's teaching on this. And prophecies about this. Throughout. Few references. Ezekiel 12.2. Son of man. Speaking to Ezekiel. You live among rebels who have eyes but refuse to see. They have ears but refuse to hear. For they are a rebellious people. Why can't they see or hear? Because they are rebellious people. It's not a matter of hearing the truth. But whether we want to hear it or not. Many do not want to hear or recognize the truth, or they simply do not have spiritual eyes to see. Isaiah 6, 9, listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. I had a friend, um, sad story, he had a, uh, went through a divorce, painful divorce. And soon thereafter, he found um, a good-looking uh, foreign girl on Facebook. And she said everything he wanted to hear. And she often needed money for legitimate reasons. Uh, back home, you know, she'd have a uncle that was dying of cancer or a mom whose car broke down. And, and so there'd be reasons that she needed money. Uh, he got engaged to her, sent her a ring, sent her money to buy a plane ticket, and she never came. And it was a scam. And the sad thing was, all of his friends knew that it was a scam. 
And we saw the picture of the girl on Facebook. We said, she's out of your league. That's not, she's not for you. It's not real. And red flags everywhere, but he couldn't see them because he didn't want to see them. He wanted it to be true. So badly. Matthew 13, 12 through 15, Jesus speaking to those who listen to my teaching. More understanding will be given and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. And that is why I use these parables, Jesus said. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. Continued. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. And they've closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So, an example of this, Jesus goes to his hometown, goes to Nazareth. These people saw Jesus trip and fall in the mud. They remember that happening. They remember Jesus maybe being uh, uncoordinated, you know, in a sports game, something. Mark 6, 4 through 6, then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. It's not that he was without power, but they did not give him opportunity. They wouldn't approach him with their sicknesses. They wouldn't approach them with their demon-possessed people. They wouldn't ask for deliverance. They wouldn't bring the people. Everywhere else they went, people were bringing people to him, and he would heal them. Here they wouldn't even believe. It's not that he didn't have power to do it. They didn't have belief for it to happen. Number three, a hard heart will blind my eyes and stop my ears. Well, I don't have a hard heart. I'm a nice guy. Lots of nice guys. Lots of nice people. Lots of people working to be nice and trying to be nice in life. Absolutely. But their spirits are dead. Their spirit is dead. The heart is still hard. It's still self-reliant. Depravity. Hard heart will resist and reject the love of God. Proud, self-righteous. There will be no proud, self-righteous people in heaven. God will only have humble people in heaven, only those who acknowledge their sin, receive his forgiveness. Honesty is a prerequisite, which allows a person to be filled with grace. Grace Grace-filled people are the citizens of heaven. Those whose sins have been washed away. Happy are those whose sins are not counted against them. Don't run from God. Don't hide from God. Don't deny that justice will be done. Don't Don't excuse wrongdoings, but turn to God. Trust in his love. Jesus came for you to rescue you, to die in your place, to pay your fine, to redeem you from the powers of the grave. He's your advocate, your savior, your friend, your king, your love, your future, your peace, your joy, your everything in between. But a hard heart will keep me from hearing and seeing. 
that which is true. And thankfully, Nicodemus, <clears throat> he's seeking the Lord. God's working on his heart. Jesus is working on his heart. He's trying to open those eyes and, and open those ears. And he's preparing his heart. He's preparing your, and my, your heart and my heart this morning as well. John 3, 5 through 7, Jesus answered, back to our main text, he says, most assuredly, wow, there, there he says that again, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Water equals a physical birth. When you're born from your mother, there's a, a water brag that bursts. And, and um, all cultures have recognized that as a water birth. You're born of water. Um, but he says, yes, to enter this earth, to enter the world, you have to be born of water. You have to be born to have, put your two feet on this ground and live on this earth. Right? To live autonomously and they cut the umbilical cord and, and you're, you're on this earth, you're alive. It's a water birth. But to be, to see the kingdom of heaven and to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again. Your spirit has to be born. Your dormant, dead spirit must come alive. Because that is what enters heaven. Flesh and blood does not enter heaven, but your spirit will and your spirit will obtain a new body, a new glorified body. Jesus is, is revealing some of the mystery and he's preparing the heart of Nicodemus and he's telling him to see with spiritual eyes, challenging him. Jesus almost gives the exact same response. It's almost the same verse as verse 3. But he, he helps Nicodemus out a little bit by saying that you must be born of water and spirit. So he's defining a little bit. But he reiterates, you must be born again. And he says, again, he says, most assuredly, most assuredly, amen, amen, is the Greek. And that happens three times, amen, amen, or truly, truly, or the truest truth, the truest fact, he's saying to Nicodemus. He has this opportunity to speak to Nicodemus, and he's saying, okay, you want the truest truths and the truest facts? You want to know the truth? A lot of people say, yeah, I'm a truth seeker. I want the truth. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you the truest truths that exist right now, the most important truths that exist. Yeah. It's the key to the lock. Mm-hmm. Number four, I must be born again. I must be born again. You and I, we must be born. When you speak of someone's biggest, greatest life event, we all have the same one. It's being born. Your marriage, that might be a big thing, but that wouldn't happen unless you were born. Right? Having kids, your own kids, yeah, but unless you were born, your birth, that is your biggest event. That's the biggest event in your life. That is, that is an exciting event. When you come screaming out of the womb. Wow! It is a big deal. That is an adrenaline-filled moment for those in the room. When you are born, there is no bigger, greater moment than you being born again. And Jesus said, 
except for one, and that's when you're born again. That's even a bigger moment. That's the closest thing he can give us to an equivalent. He's saying being born is a big deal. You have to be born again. The biggest event in your life, that has to happen. It's that serious and that magnitude attached to it. You must be spiritually born. Be born spiritually. Your birthday literally have to be born again. It's really a birth. It's really something that's that's made alive. That comes alive. Your spirit really does come alive. So Jesus drops a huge spiritual truth and he allows Nick's heart to wrestle with it. He puts this out there and he allows Nick's heart to wrestle. And Jesus' manner of engagement affords people the opportunity to make determinations at the spirit level. He uses parable symbolism to propose, to purposefully invite, to test, to reveal the hearts of people. He puts it before them, a choice for them to wrestle with. And here, um, <clears throat> he's not just being painting a picture and showing a symbolic thing, but it's actually symbolic, but it's also realistic. It's actually a real symbolism. It's something that really has to happen and really does happen. Uh, <clears throat> very similar to this, and, and I only thought of it because we had communion last week. Uh, Jesus, the bread of life. Uh, John chapter 6. If you'll bear with me, we're just going to read a lot just in the next three minutes. And we're going to read a lot from uh, John 6. A uh, similar concept to that of being born again actually ties into it. How am I born again? And, uh, and here we go. <clears throat> so he's before 5,000 uh, men, probably 15, 20, 30,000 people, would be my understanding. Um, and he had just fed the 5,000 with bread, um, or 5,000 men and then women, children as well, um, from nothing. A couple loaves of bread, a uh, few loaves, a few fish, and um, distributes them among that many people, feeds them all. The next day he comes back and they say, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. Well, I just did yesterday. <laughs> just did yesterday. Oh, show us again. Oh, believe me. What can you do? <clears throat> After all, verse 31, all our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. Uh, they were referencing the time of Moses and they went through the Sinai Peninsula when they came out of Egypt and God gave them, uh, through Moses, uh, bread. Bread on the ground. Every day when they'd wake up, there'd be bread on the ground for them to pick up and eat and it sustained them for 40 years. And so they say, hey, yeah, you gave us, you gave us bread yesterday, Jesus, but can you do what Moses did? He gave us bread every day. Well, it actually wasn't Moses. Uh, the scriptures say Moses gave them bread to eat from heaven. And Jesus said, verse 32, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. Moses was his, the man he was using at the time. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that, day, that bread every day. Just thinking in the natural. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. I should have said that slower. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Our body and soul need physical food to have life, to sustain life, to have health. Our spirit needs spiritual food for spiritual life and health. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. We continue, and, and it's still on the same passage here, John 6, 47 through 52. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died eventually. <clears throat> anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other and they said, what? <laughs> what did he meant? How, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Cannibalism? Really? Jesus? What? Nick says, hey, born again, I go back to my mom's womb. I mean, she's old. I'm... And these people say, what? Eat of your flesh? Your cannibalism? It's disgusting. Verse 53, so Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you, he doubles down, unless you eat of my flesh and drink, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is the true food and my blood is the true drink. The humble and those with ears to hear and eyes to see understood what he meant. Those who did not, did not. Would not. Do you understand this morning? Verse 56, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living father who sent me and in the same way anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. Wow. Question for you. What happened in the Garden of Eden? So, the Garden of Eden... <clears throat> perfect garden, Adam and Eve are there, and they're told, you know, you know, all this is for you, enjoy it, and, and be fruitful, and multiply, and name the animals, and have dominion over all the earth, and you're the managers of this earth, and, and um, uh, except for one tree in the garden, don't eat of it. And the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. One tree. Don't eat of that one, you shall surely die. And of course, what do they do? So we're not content to be under God, we want to be God or usurp God. And that's what all of us struggle with. I don't want to be under God. I want to be God. I want to call my own shots, be my own man, woman. I don't want to be subservient. I don't want to humble myself. Um, what happens in the garden? So, you know, they're tempted, the Satan, and he says, hey, you shall, you know, in the day you eat of it, you will not die. You'll be like God, knowing good from evil and speaking to him. And so Eve takes a bite, and Adam lets her do it, and watches her, and he looks, and like, hey, it doesn't look like she's dead. I'll have some of that. Takes a bite. Guess what? They both died spiritually, dead. The spiritual part of them was separated from God in that very moment. They died. 
So he still had a body, although that body now was mortal. Uh, it was mortal. Um, their soul. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eve, uh, of Eden, lest they eat of the tree of life, which is another tree there. They'd eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If they ate of the tree of life, they'd live forever in this terrible condition, separated from God, uh, disease, decay, death, so forth, no hope of, of redemption. Um, but he kicked them out of the Garden of Eden and guarded the tree of life, so forth. So, all that to say, um, their spirit died. Their spirit died at that time. And you and I, when we're born, our spirits are, are dormant. They need to be born again. Okay, back to Nick. John 3, verse 8. Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit world exists, you just can't see it with physical eyes. The people of God are not of earth. They are citizens of heaven, essentially a different type of creature, different type of human. Uh, If you want to understand it right, it's fully human. Three out of three, three part, body, soul, spirit, instead of two thirds human, body, soul. We have another operating system. We have another compass, another power source, another informer, an all protecting, all aware, all powerful, all loving supervisor, Standing beside us, a helper at all times, a trainer. Largely invisible to the fallen world, but seen, heard, felt, and known by that which belongs to him. And so even at the time of Jesus' day, and I thought this was interesting, that Jesus, you know, people would look at him and they would see a a person from Nazareth, a Galilean, that's what they would see. Do you know that people that were demon-possessed, a lot of times, in the, the, it sounds scary and weird, in the New Testament they would know who Jesus is. You know, the demons knew who Jesus was. He says, you are the son of God. And you, you tell them, hush up, be quiet. It's not my, you're going to distract from everything that's going on right now. I came to die on the cross. But, um, but they were right in that, in that fact. They could see the spirit world. And they knew Jesus was the son of God. They knew it was God in the flesh. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So it's everyone who is born of the Spirit. Billy Graham said, can you see God? You haven't seen him? I've never seen the wind. I see the effects of the wind, but I've never seen the wind. There is a mystery to it. But number five, in your notes, a degree of mystery does not negate the truth. Because you can't know everything and have every answer. You know, if you knew everything, you had every answer, you would be God. But you do not. And that doesn't mean that the truth does not exist or that it's not um, available and receivable. Well, you could say that to validate anything. You could say, oh, there's mystery to it. So you say that about anything, right? You say that. I'm not speaking of things that are fairy tale or unreasonable or illogical, but of things which are logical and reasonable. And because of a level of credibility, it necessitates a level of trust on our part because of its credibility. John 3, 9 through 12, 
Jesus, uh, Nicodemus answered, said to him, how can these things be? I think he was sincere, though. How can these things be? Just beyond, seemed big or difficult or hard, mysterious. And Jesus answered him and said, are you a teacher of Israel? Because he was. And do not know these things? Most assuredly, he says, most assuredly again. I say to you, we speak what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus is having the most important talk about the most important topic he can have with Nicodemus. He's having that talk with us this morning as well. And he gets to this part and he says, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. What is he doing right there? Who's we and who's our? Jesus is speaking on behalf of himself, the Godhead. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Whoa. Say, Nick, you're a studier. You're a leader of the people for religion. Say, if you're not going to believe what we tell you, what we speak, what we know, and our witness. Man, this is intense. You feeling that? Yeah. <laughs> if you're not catching what I, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, what we're saying when I'm giving earthly analogies and examples, if you're not connecting the signs and wonders to the credibility of the word, how could you ever understand any of what heaven actually holds? How will you accept me or receive revelation or instruction or blessing from God if you do not have an openness to the spirit of God? Everything from physical birth to the wind blowing gives a precedent for greater revelation, but will you receive it, Nick? A level of truth is warranted and necessitated based upon the credible signs, wonders, and mystery all around you. And you know, even as Christians, once we believe in Christ, we can miss much of what God desires to reveal to us because we're kind of deaf, kind of blind, and our hearts are just calloused. We need God's help, and we need to acknowledge that. Lord, help my heart. I give it to you again today. Soften my heart, Lord. So he's talking to, to Nick, and it's spiritual 101 for dummies. And he's saying, I'm giving you earthly, and I mean, I'm, I'm breaking it down as simple as I can. I'm doing a crayon drawing for you, Nick. I'm doing this in crayon. It's not the rocket scientist. I'm not showing you all the form. I'm just doing a kind of a crayon picture. But if you, you got to, I would love to download all of the mystery of heaven to you. But you have to have spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear. We're at the crayon level right now. And there's so much that God would love to 
to download. I've shown this picture the last few times, the discipleship process. And um, hope are we there yet? Slides, I don't know if they're working. Discipleship process, um, but people must be born again. And, um, and then after being born again, <clears throat> um, there's maturation that should take place in all of us and growth. And so from toddler or infant to child to young adult to parent to grandparent, spiritually speaking, that should be occurring. <clears throat> and there's so much for us to still receive spiritually from the Lord. First uh, Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3. Are the slides stuck, Donald? Okay. Okay, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as the carnal, as to babes in Christ. This is Paul talking to the church, the early church. So the church is established, it's growing. He's writing to the Corinthian church. And he's saying, man, I have to keep talking. It's kind of, I'm having to do the crayon thing for you. Um, <clears throat> I fed you with milk, not with solid food, because you're going to choke on that. You can't handle it. Uh, for until now, you're not able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able Verse 3, for you're still carnal. Just you're living according to your feelings and according to your own intellect all the time. And that's kind of what you, that's what you put all your weight on. Instead of putting your trust in the Lord and being available and open, um, growing in, in uh, the knowledge of Christ, grace of Christ. It's kind of, just kind of calling your own shots and living by your flesh. For where there is envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? Uh, number six this morning, God is more than willing to give. He's more willing to give than I am to receive. And so God, man, the good father that he is, man, I got all these gifts for you, son, all this wisdom, all this knowledge, all this power, all this purpose, all these opportunities. And, oh man, I just, and I just, man, you won't even take this. I'm giving you a sucker. You don't want to take, take the sucker. I'm giving you a lollipop. You want to take a lollipop. Just because we're, we don't have eyes to see or ears to hear or expectation or a faith that is true and that he does. Jesus has great truths that he wants to share, but first we must prepare our hearts. Jesus has great truths he wants to share daily, moment by moment. We need to have spiritual eyes. We must have spiritual ears. We have to have hearts. We must prepare our hearts to see and to hear. So, Jesus is about to share the most important news that he can share with anyone at any given time. And it's John chapter 3. You can read it for yourself. Um, we're going to wrap up about right now, in the next couple minutes. But right now, he's preparing Nicodemus's heart. And the challenge for us today is to take that step of surrender and humility and, and humble ourselves and ask God to open our eyes in our ears. He wants us to help us with that. That we might be, uh, if you don't know Christ, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, he wants you to be born again. He wants you to take that step to believe upon him for the forgiveness of sin and for his help, his ever-present help by his spirit in your life, giving you eternal life and, and uh, adopting you into the family, his family, and him being your spiritual leader till the day you die a friend for life and beyond into eternity. 
Um, and for those of us that have crossed that line and said, I do believe in you, Lord. I have put my faith in you. He wants us to progress, and he wants us to have eyes to see and, and ears to hear, especially in the culture that we live in now, especially heading into 2024. Hey, it's an election year. There's all kinds. Who knows what's all going to go on, right? Jesus does. God does. And he wants us to have spiritual eyes and ears to hear that we might be about our master's business. And we can live in the way that we are supposed to and receive the rewards uh, that he desires for us to receive in doing so as well. There's an old song <clears throat> written by Robert Call in 1976. <clears throat> it says, open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus, to reach out and touch him. And say that we love him. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. And Lord, that's our prayer this morning. Lord, each of us where we sit, Lord, We understand that the heart is linked to our eyes and ears, spiritually speaking. And so we ask for you to soften our hearts, Lord, to plow up the rocky soil, uh, to give us a desire for the things of you, a taste for the things of you, that we would um, not be contented with what the culture, Lord, provides for us, puts in front of our face, distracts us with, entertains us with, Lord. But we would desire this pure spiritual food that does meet our needs. That does satisfy. Jesus, you said, those who eat of me, drink of me. All who are thirsty, drink of me. You'll never thirst again. Uh, that is the spiritual food, Lord, that we need to have. And so, Lord, even now, <clears throat> Lord, as, as we end a little early today on purpose, Lord, or by your design, as we wait in this room for the next five, ten minutes, Lord, do a work in our hearts and in our minds as we just take that step of faith, Lord, in, in humbling ourselves and sitting and listening, singing, entering in, worship, reflecting, listening, meditating on what we've heard today and giving you permission to change us in Jesus' name. Amen.